Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who has been blind since age 12, yet he is an Emmy-winning broadcaster, author, and motivational speaker. He has interviewed thousands of sports figures and celebrities over a career spanning seven decades. He's been inducted into three different Hall of Fames. His book, Seeing Home, which is soon to be a major motion picture, is one of the first books to be released under Jeter Publishing, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, run by the former Yankee shortstop. It is an honor to welcome one of the most inspirational men you will ever meet, Ed Lucas, to W. WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Ed. Thank you very much. Thank you for the time, Rhodes. It's our pleasure. You know, October 3rd, 1951, the day Bobby Thompson made baseball history and lifelong memories for many at the Polo Grounds, your baseball memory from a Sandlot baseball field in Jersey City that day is somewhat different. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what happened that day to a then 12-year-old Ed Lucas that would change your life dramatically? Well, baseball has been my love ever since I can remember the game. I'm going back to four or five years old. My mother and father were big, big baseball fans. You mentioned Jersey City. We couldn't afford to go to too many major league games, but we always went to the Jersey City Giants. At that time, they were the minor league club for the New York Giants. And my mother and father were always Giant fans. I rooted for the Giants, and then when Johnny Myers was traded to the Yankees, I was a Giant and Yankee fan, and my father went crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And that was in 1949, but uh, when he was uh, sold to the Yankees. On that day, October 3rd, I came home, big series, third game of the playoffs, the Dodgers and the Giants, and, uh, of course, rooting for the Giants. And Bobby Thompson got up in the ninth inning. They were losing 4-2, and there were two men on. Uh, Don Mueller had broken his leg, and... They had to put Quinn Hartung in to run for him. They were men on second and thirty. Whitey Wackman was on second, and Quinn uh, Hartung running for Don Mueller was on third. Bobby Thompson's first pitch was a strike. The second pitch, Bobby Thompson launched into the left field seats at the Polo Grounds. It wasn't that far, but he hit it into the seats, and the Giants won the pennant. And they were going crazy. My father was so excited. My mother worked days. My father worked nights. He was a pressman for the New York Times. And um, he was so excited, he was jumping up and down, yelling out the window. And the Giants won. The Giants won. That was the first time the late 30s that they won. And uh, he was taking dishes out of the closet to set the table for dinner. When my mother came in, he had it prepared, and uh, as he took the dishes out of the closet, he dropped them. He was so excited, they all broke. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I said to him, hey, Dad, I'm I'm going out, and I grabbed my baseball glove, and I said, I'm going out to play ball. I didn't want to be around. (laughs) I went outside, and a bunch of guys got together, and uh, I was a left-handed pitcher. Got on the mound, of course, all excited about the chance of winning, and uh, threw a pitch and a line drive came back and hit me between the eyes and that was the last thing I ever saw. 
Absolutely incredible. You know, it's interesting to note that a good friend of our show, Dan Schlossberg, actually had a hand on getting you back on a pitcher's mound many years later as you got to throw out a first pitch at a Major League Baseball game. What was that like for you? That was great. That was out in California. Um, Dan wrote to, uh, wrote to uh, Bob Laurie, who was uh, the owner of the San Francisco Giants, who I got to know uh, very well. And uh, Dan wrote him a letter saying that uh, uh, I was coming out there. My friend Gene Mayo said, let's go. You want to go to California? This is your dream. He said, I'm taking you out. We're going to make all the ballparks. We went from Oakland to San Francisco to um, Anaheim to the Dodgers in, in a week. And uh, on uh, September the 12th, 1989, I got on the mound at the Candlestick Park and I threw a pitch and uh, they were pretty good, right to the catcher. <laughs> you had to talk, when you talk, just let me know where you're at. And I wound up like I did as a kid, and he moved back a little bit. <laughs> I was told, and uh, he caught the ball, but that was a great, uh, great day. The Giants were playing the Braves that day. You know, it's interesting. 1951 was a very different time to be disabled. Yeah. It's 39 years before the Americans with Disability Act. Uh, your mom and dad, uh, your mom seems like an absolutely amazing woman. And way before there was social media, she went about creating her own social network to cheer you up. And what I mean by that, she meant she wrote letters to various ball players of the day, requests for autographs. She was very successful in getting lots of things for you, visits out to the ballpark. But when one interaction in particular um, changed your life completely. Phil Rizzuto worked as a greeter in the offseason at a clothing store in New Jersey. Um, your mom and dad took you there to meet him. And it's just... You know, I love the scooter and we've you know, had Actually, Carl... Also, after you read Carlo Ed's DeVito book, did a great a book about, about Phil. Yeah. But this story, right. it, it made, for me, two heroes in the story. Well, actually, yeah. four heroes in the story. Your mom and dad, you and Phil Rizzuto. So can you tell our audience what happened that day, what Phil Rizzuto has meant to you and your life? Oh, boy. Got an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First, wow. first of all, um, my mother and father brought me there on the assumption that we were going to get clothes for school. I didn't know Rizzuto was going to be there, or they didn't tell me, I should say. <laughs> and when we walked in, I think my mother met him on the side, and my father said, well, we'll look around here, Ed, and see what we can find. And in the meantime, the scooter came over, and your mother said, how you doing, son? I said, fine. Didn't recognize his voice at first, and <clears throat> my father said, Ed, it's Phil Rizzuto, scooter. And I said, really? He said, yes. He said, I'm Phil Rizzuto. He said, you can call me the Skoda. And uh, so he said, how you been? I said, okay. And uh, he said, hey, you got to be a little more cheerful here. You know, baseball players are cheerful and everything else. And he was talking to me. He said, I understand you know a lot about baseball. I said, I don't know if I know a lot, but, you know, I said, I love the game. And I listen to the games all the time. And keep the information in my head, and so he said to me, i tell you what, he said, here's my phone number. Yeah, I'm going to give you my phone number, and any time you want to talk, or any time you uh, feel down and out, he said, you give the old scooter a call. He said, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. 
He said, I guess you couldn't give me your number because it's probably on Wednesday, right, Ed? <laughs> I said, oh, no. <laughs> I was happy to give her mine, my address and everything. You know, a couple of days later, I got a phone call. Hey, Ed, this is the scooter. How you doing? I said, okay. He said, what are you doing here with a while? I said, I'm just sitting around listening to the radio and so forth. He said, well... Tell your mother and father I want to come and take out. We're going to go for a ride. <laughs> and he took me out. He went about 20 minutes away from me in Hillside, New Jersey. And I lived in Jersey City. And he came out and we just went talking. We went somewhere to eat. And he paid the bill. Everybody said he's so cheap. But let me tell you, every time <laughs> we went somewhere, people didn't want him to pay. And uh, we'd be on the turnpike. And, oh, Scooter, we got it. Don't worry. We love you, Scooter. This years later, and when he was a broadcaster, and so he was there. He encouraged me all the time. You can't give up, Ed. Don't give up. He said, you know, you have a future ahead of you. The only thing I tell you is make sure you get a good education. And uh, he kept on encouraging me, and he would come to my house, or he would call up and say, hey, you going to be home? I'll be there in a little while, and he bring something to eat or whatever, you know, and he, he was always encouraging me. Now, the interesting thing about it is that he, he had uh, four children of his own. Right. And, you know, he was very close to them and Cora, and I got to know Cora and the family later on, and uh, I was like part of their family, and he was always there for me, no matter what. And if he didn't hear from me, he called me up, Everything okay? And he would just call. I got married. He was at my wedding. And then my boys were born. And uh, as I got older, he would say, uh, and they were about my size now, and, you know, people would donate clothes to him. I mean, all these big clothing manufacturers would give him. He said, I have too many of them. I can't wear all of them. Bring them over and give them to my boys. And my Christopher, my youngest boy, who helped me write the book, he went to school one day. And uh, he came home, and at some time the doorbell rang. I went to the door, and Mr. Lucas, can we talk to you for a minute? This is so-and-so. I'm one of Chris's friends. I said, sure, what's the matter, son? He said, I just want to tell you, Chris is a dirty, filthy liar. I said, really? I said, what happened? He said, he told everybody in school <laughs> that Frozudo gave him the sweater he was wearing. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. And, you know, we didn't believe him. And I was wondering, you know, he's going around telling people that. I said, can I tell you something? He said, yeah. I said, Frozudo did give it to him. <laughs> he came to the house here last night and handed it to him. Try it on. Let him try it on. He said, I'm talking about the Phil Zoo with the money store and the Yankees. I said, I'm talking about the same guy. That's so funny. You know, you, know, you mentioned that the book is co-written with your son, okay? Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've met Chris a number of times out at the ballpark with you. Um, I have to imagine when the two of you were writing the chapters about your first wife, his mom, abandoning you and your family, then coming back years later to sue you for custody— and that entire fight, I have to imagine that had to be kind of emotional for both of you to relive that. 
What was yeah. that like? And for people in our audience that don't know the Ed Lucas story yeah. and this particular story, could you recount that for us? Sure. That was uh, <clears throat> my two boys, they, you know, Eddie, who's the oldest one, and Chris. Um, she, she left when they were four and three years old. She said to me, uh, you know, I had to get somebody with sight. One day I went to pick them up. Well, you know, they were living with her, and I had them on a weekend and so forth. And uh, She said, hey, give me your hand. I said, yeah. She said, feel this. I said, yeah, I know what it is. It's a suitcase. She said, you're going to take it. I said, what do you, why do I need a suitcase? I said, because we have clothes for them up at my mother and father's house. She said, you're taking them because they're yours. So what do you mean? She said, they're yours. You take them. I said, oh. what about Sunday? I'm not going to be here. I said, what do you want me to tell them? I said, tell them anything. Tell them I'm dead. <laughs> and uh, we finally went to court. and uh, You know, I got the children. Then years later, she came back. And uh, seven years or so, eight years, she came back and said, uh, sent me a letter from a lawyer that she wanted custody. So we we fought for custody. Fuzzero testified to being in court. He was a nervous wreck. He said, Lucas, I've never been in court in my life. <laughs> and he got up there and he, he spoke, and I had some of my friends speak and so forth. And <clears throat> when um, the first judge we had, he didn't even let me speak. He said, uh, Listen, either you're going to give them up to your children or to your wife and her new husband. He said, well, I'm going to separate them and put them in a foster home. Okay. So I got myself a new lawyer. The lawyer I had, I thought they'd do a job for me. I got my new lawyer, Mr. Danzig, Howard Danzig. And uh, he uh, went to the Supreme Court of New Jersey. And had it overturned, and we had a new trial. And that's when we had the new trial, and I uh, went through a whole series of, you know, people testifying and so forth. And then uh, on September 25th, 1980, that happens to be Fuzzer's birthday, <laughs> I won custody of my wife. In, in a landmark okay. case as well. Wow. You know... Mm -hmm. Ed, this is A.J. Carter. In the book, you talk a lot about conversations that have been meeting some very, very famous ball players. Two stories I really like. Maybe you can tell our audience. One is Joe DiMaggio, and the other is Ted Williams. <laughs> okay. Joe DiMaggio, I guess you're talking about when Scooter brought me in to yes, meet him? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. You know, Scooter brought me over to the games, and he, DiMaggio was there, and he said, come on, I want you to meet a good friend of mine. So he went to the room, and a couple of people were in there, and he brings me in, and speaking to uh, Joe DiMaggio and he said uh, how you doing? How's everything? And he said, uh, what's your favorite Italian meal? <laughs> I said, oh, Chef Boyardee. <laughs> he said, Chef Boyardee? He said, get this Irishman. He pat me on the back and he said, get this Irishman a bowl of pasta bozo or something. He said, let him know what Italian food is and I mean, we laughed about that to the both of them died. I mean, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> the other one was Ted Williams. Bobby Thompson was on the Red Sox, and Bobby Thompson, be 
became a dear friend of mine. And I went with my senior I do okay to the game. I would bring her to the game. And uh, Bobby saw me, and I said, hey, Bob, could you do me a favor? I said, sure. I said, is there any way you can introduce me to Ted Williams? He said, yeah, we stand on the field. Come on, I'll take you into the clubhouse. So I went down the, down the steps to the dugout and into the clubhouse with uh, uh, Kay and Bobby Thompson. And I'm walking towards Ted Williams' locker. And he said, hey, how you doing, big boy? He said, oh, pretty good. I said, how are you? He said, I'm not talking to you. He said, I'm talking to your pal there. <laughs> but uh, Ted Williams was great to me. Anytime I saw him after that, and always wonderful. Now, it's also interesting that while I've been reading this book over the last month, whether it be on the Long Island Railroad or the subway or out by my pool, people see the cover. You know, it, it's basically, you now it says, Seeing Home, the Ed Lucas story. And then underneath it says, A blind broadcaster's story of overcoming life's obstacles. And invariably, a person would walk up to me and says, Wait, blind broadcaster, baseball, how is that possible? And you illustrate that beautifully by telling a story about Bobby Bonds, not Barry Bonds. Um, can you fill in the details and tell us, you know, first of all, a little bit about that interaction with Bobby around the batting cage, as well as what your typical day at the ballpark entails? Right. Well, I would get to the ballpark about three hours before game time, three to four hours before game time. And I would you know, go on the field and talk to some players, do some interviews or whatever, and uh, and I got to know them. I rooted for the Giants, and I still root for the Giants in the National League. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, the Yankees here in New York. And the um, Bobby Bonds, uh, I got to know him uh, when he came up with the Giants, and we became dear friends. And no matter what team he was traded to, I would always go and see him, and we became very, very close friends. And, I knew Barry as a kid growing up, and I got to know him. And, you know, most people don't like Barry. <laughs> Barry goes out of his way to see me and hugs me and talks to me. And, you know, people start taking pictures of, you know, what's going on here. But Bobby was a great guy. Bobby's one of these guys who loved the kid around, and he would always love to kid me. So he now is the uh, coach for the Cleveland Indians. And they're playing at Yankee Stadium. And he said, i got to get this friend of mine, this coach over here. He said, I want you to do what you always do. I said, okay. So he brings him over and he introduces him. I forget his name. And uh, <clears throat> he said, now this guy can tell you where the ball is being hit. I said, uh, really? He said, now you just listen to where the ball is being hit and tell me uh, where it's hit when the guy hits it. I said, okay. So I did that, and I said, left field, ground ball to short, fly ball to center, ground ball to first. And, you know, I was right all the time. <laughs> so Bobby says to me, okay, smartass, here's what you have to do. Just listen and don't say a word. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, don't say a word, listen, and I'll ask you the question. He said, somebody else is getting in the box. So then... Hitting the ball away three or four times. And Bobby said, here's the question. I said, what? He said, tell me if the batter is black, white, or Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, unbelievable. There are so many great stories in this book. It's a wonderful book. People should go out and get it. Great stories about George Steinbrenner. Yeah, so many players. Yeah, we'd time, even touch on that because we, we're uh, obviously constrained by time. Um, over all the years, quickly, who was your favorite player to interview? Well, number one is Skoda. I mean, I interviewed him more than anybody, but uh, it, 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 it's hard to say. I mean, Mays was wonderful to me. Stan Musial. Uh, you know, today's players, Mano, Judge has been wonderful. Uh, and uh, some of the Yankees of today and other ball players, you know. Uh, Thurman Munson, Derek Jeter, Thurman also. Munson, Derek. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful book. Now, the interesting thing is that I mentioned in the open that this book is slated to become a, a major motion picture. Uh, Screenplay. Uh, Apparently, has already been written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, who have yeah. made a couple of sports films already. And there's been a, a guy that's rumored um, to be linked to the project. I don't know if he's signed yet, but from what I've heard, it's possible that Bradley Cooper might be playing you in the movie. Has that been finalized yet? No, that has not been finalized, <laughs> and nothing. Can... Right now, we're just waiting. It's only been it's only been eleven and a half years. <laughs> Takes a long time to get things done, yeah. but uh, right, it's only been eleven and a half years. They're still looking for a director and an actor. Wow! So you know. All right. uh, it becomes very frustrating at times. Yeah, I'm sure. A great book. Uh, Chris did a wonderful job with you as well. Lastly, oh, yeah. inspired by and together with your late friend Phil Rizzuto, you've helped to raise millions of dollars through the Ed Lucas Foundation to help disabled people all over the world. After Phil's passing in 2007, can't believe it's been that long yeah. since Scooter's passed, Yankee legend Gene Michael joined you in your charitable efforts. Can you tell our audience where they can help out and, and make a contribution to the foundation? EdLucasFoundation.org, okay, and uh, they can make a contribution there. EdLucasFoundation.org, or we're having a big dinner tomorrow night. It's in Florham Park, New Jersey. They can call up to ten thirty tonight if they wanted to go. We're going to have you know Brian Cash in there and uh, David Cohn and Art Shamsky and football players and so forth and. <clears throat> And a uh, couple of great artists, John Panisi, he's a great artist, and James Fiorentino, another artist. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame at yeah. age 14. So, I mean, uh, that's how they can help. And we give back. We give back to those who are less fortunate than I am. I feel I'm very, very fortunate. I have wonderful friends and people that have been there. And the people on my committee that are wonderful that go out and do things and help and raise funds and <clears throat> bring a lot of auction. We have a lot of auction items. We have some stuff from the match. We have some stuff from the Yankees. And uh, James Ferrantino did a painting of Judge, which we're going to auction off tomorrow night. Excellent, Ed. We thank you so much for a wonderful book. Hope to see you out at the stadium shortly. Ed Lucas, seeing home, hopefully soon to be a major motion picture.